0: Oh, there we go. Right. Now, that was in a, a subway in uh, sh- Shanghai. So what did I notice? Everyone's on their phones. Everyone's on their phones. And, and it just, I don't know, it struck me as being unusual, although Megan pointed out, what's uh, what's unusual about that? When I spoke to her. She said, what's... what's that's, that's, everyone's doing that. You know? I said, well... This was unreal. Everyone. Actually, there was one situation where there was this drunk bloke who got on the the train and he was singing some song I couldn't understand because it was in Mandarin. And he's going for it. And everyone's sitting on their phone. No one batted an eyelid. And he went along singing to everyone on their phone. And they just sat there like that. So what I was thinking about, I started thinking... um, uh, I started thinking about the consuming nature of this technology as an example and its impact on our lives. And it struck me that phones are not neutral items. They're not passive items that we just use to to help our life along. They've affected culture in unforeseen ways. And then I bumped into wall this week and and he was having a discussion about um, social media and internet use and kids and stuff like that. Um, And so I, I thought, okay... I want to think about living between the trees, and then use an example as weird as that to talk about how do we how to interpret living between the trees when we're confronted by different things from the world. Um, I'm also indebted, often, um, to, to books I'm currently reading. I'm, I read, I've been reading a great book that I haven't quite finished. that Ben put me onto called um, "The Day the Revolution Began" by N. T. Wright. That also talks about how we're to perceive our role and purpose in life and how we interact with things just like that. Because as we try to live out our faith, events, trends, ideas that are happening in the world around us challenge our beliefs and cause us to consider how how we are to respond to them and remain faithful. This, this This is what we've got in front of us. A world that is presenting ideas, trends, movements, phenomena, and, and we are, as faithful Christians, we need to understand how we're to relate to them, how we're to interpret them, how, to, how we're either to engage them or, or be wary of them. <clears throat> so it's, it's really that process I want to talk about. It's actually a very legitimate process. We should be trying to think about our interaction with the world on a regular basis to understand how we're to live and act as Christians um, and put structure and order to that. Paul talks about discipline being a characteristic of our faith. We are to train and grow in our understanding. We must be diligent and committed to running a race. These are the sort of metaphors that are used in Scripture. Jesus talks about structure. He talks about, in the most basic terms, a narrow and a wide road. He talks about light and dark. He talks about sheep and goats. These are all attempts to try to help us to visualise how we're to be, how we're to exist, how we're to live in the world. Um, At the most basic of level, there's a way that leads to death, as we saw in that scripture reading, and a way that leads to life. This this is actually a very simple scheme, but it's a structure of understanding um, what life is about. And the question is, for me, what is the best overarching framework to understand how we're to live our lives? Um, For want of a better word, how to construct a mission for our life, how to construct a way of understanding and seeing the way we should, should live. What does this way look like for us, living in Shepparton in the 21st century? In a very simple way, it's asking the same question Nicodemus was asking. It's the question the scribe was asking um, in Mark 12. It's the question the crowd asked Peter on the day of Pentecost. What must we do? How must we live? How should I respond to the teachings of Jesus? What, what should be the way my life uh, looks like? Um, and I want to suggest to you that rather than focusing on a list of rules, and we talked about that in the last sermon, or list of codes or looking at um, different ways to, you know, itemise our life, I suggest the first thing we should do is look at why we were made. And that's why I read that piece out of Genesis. Why were we made in the first place and how the remade world of Jesus' kingdom has renewed that original purpose? Okay, so I just want to focus on that as as a, a suggested way to 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 put a framework around the way you respond to the world, to think about... A way of of assessing things in the world that we engage with <clears throat> um, and out of that, and for me, I, I like these sort of things because i 'm not really a rule real box tick guy, which we talked about last week, last time as well, um, out of that comes a theme or a mission or a central focus that the rest should follow from okay so we 're just going to look at that, and then if we 've got time i 'll look at a particular example. Um, and and see if we can apply that process to that. Okay, are we good with that? Right. Okay. So let's turn back to Genesis. We won't um, you know, and think through that. It's a familiar story, or should be. I mean, we probably all got it at at, uh, at Sunday school when we we're kids, and we've read it a lot. And it's the basis of of understanding um, everything that's happened in this world and where we're at now. Um, God makes this world, and He makes creatures. And then he makes man. And man is his preeminent creation. It's, 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 it's the pinnacle of God's creative work. Um, so special that God actually imprints us with his image. So, so God, there's something of God's image imprinted in us. Okay, that's, how, that's how special man is. Man is a, a, an image bearer of God. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we look like God? Curiously enough, I did hear a sermon a number of years ago by one of those tele-evangelists from the States who said, yes, God looks like us. God's actually six foot two and he's got hands roughly the size of an average hand. That's not what it means, okay? (laughs) And um, I'm sorry, that bloke was right off track. It was interesting to listen to, but no, it's not about that. It's not that we look like man. Uh, Sorry, it's not that we look like God or God looks like man in some way. Um, I, I, whilst it's, it's correct in some ways for the purposes of this sermon it's not, even, it's not that helpful to even try to correlate characteristics of God and characteristics of man it's probably best to understand the image bearing nature of us as, be, as we being representative of God we represent God on earth and if you look at that original story um, we were created to represent him We were his agents, we were his sub-rulers on earth, Um, his deputies, I'm trying to think of words that you can relate to, or his vice-regents, we don't have sort of royalty in Australia too much, but we we were basically his vice-regents, we were his um, deputised agents to to oversee and manage the world that he gave us. God made the world and then he placed man in this garden to be these this image-bearer, representative, um, sub-ruler on God's behalf. In some ways, the garden has been understood as, as a type of a temple. And as image-bearers or representatives, we are engaged in an act of worship. As we reflect God in this world, we are um, worshipping him. In other words, displaying his greatness by exercising ourselves as God would have us exercise ourselves and represent him. So it's, it's essentially a, almost a priestly role. We, we are in this temple and we are worshipping God by displaying his greatness through the actions of our lives. <clears throat> we have a little problem though. And that was, that's explored in chapter 3 of Genesis. But what happened there? Man fell. We we fell from that position of of, uh, perfect creation that God made us in and we were changed. We became distorted. Our natures were marred. Whilst we still carried the imprint of God, the focus of our worship had changed. Rather than worshipping God, we fell away from that, the truth of that, and if we turn to Romans 1, verse 20 to 25, Paul's got a great description of, of what happened. <clears throat> Romans 1, 20 to 25. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse... For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them over, gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Okay, so think about that perfect creation in the garden and you look at that. There's, there's, there's a huge difference between man in those two descriptions. We fell a long way. Paul then goes on to talk about how that misdirected worship there... Um, ultimately leads to all sorts of destructive acts and then into death and judgment. In reality, if we're trying to describe what's happening here, man abandoned his original role of representing God and exercising that delegated authority and is now worshipping something other than the true God, created things. And by default, man hands over authority or handed over authority to non-human and non-divine powers, the devil. That's, that's actually what happened. There had there been a transfer of worship. So the power and the authority that was given to us, we've, we've given that to some other power. That's not true. I don't think we really grasp the full extent of the catastrophe that happened there. I think we just think, oh, well, we just, yeah, we, we started doing some bad stuff. And now if we work hard and, and uh, take on Jesus, it's, it'll fix it. I, I don't think we really understand the catastrophe that happened at the fore, how deeply our nature was changed and how deeply um, humankind was marred. <clears throat> now, at this stage, you're probably saying, what's this got to do with living life? Um, you know, temple, worship, vice regents. I just want my kids to do what they're told and, and uh, I just want to get to the end of the day and still be sane or, um, you know, I want to make ends meet. You know, you know, sometimes it's a bit like, the, read the Bible, I've got to make some connections here. So, righto. Um, what I'm trying to say is the type, of the, the type of restoration that Jesus brought, think about the catastrophe that happened. Think about the fall and how great it was. Jesus came to restore. There's a, a, a great work of restoration that should impact all of our life. Even, um, you know, getting their kids to do what they're told. It should impact, impact everything that we do, this restoration. Because that's, that's actually what happened at the cross. Jesus came to make things right. To return us back to the original design that we become so marred from. <clears throat> in some ways, I think we undervalue what Jesus did. I, I really think that. And I think sometimes it's often the way that we um, first represented with salvation. I think in a sense, um, if I think about my own example... I was a 12-year-old kid, and um, I heard this... Actually, there was a lot of preaching about the rapture back in the 70s. Anyone relate to that? There's these movies going around called um, Thief in the Night, and, man, I was just, I was just packing myself. I thought, oh, I know, I'm going to get caught up in all that rapture stuff. I'm going to... Um, you know, Jesus is going to come back, and I'm going to be left behind. And, oh, it looks awful. There's these, these weird creatures getting around. These are these movies that they had about it. And... Um, so I was like, I, I just want to become a Christian so I can escape all that. That's what I saw the purpose of Christianity for. Actually, I was so anxious about it. Um, I, I was, I used, typical me, I, it took me a little bit longer than my brothers and sisters to become a Christian because I was just thinking about it too much, I reckon. But anyway, I, um, I uh, remember one night, I was think, woke up in the middle of the night and I was thinking about it. I reckon Jesus has come back while I've been asleep. <laughs> and... Uh, I couldn't hear... I I shared a bedroom with my two brothers, which is... There's a lot of stories I could tell you about that. But anyway... um, And I couldn't hear them breathing. So I'm I'm sitting there thinking... And I'm starting to get... worry about it. So I reached over to the bed beside me. I think it was Todd or Shane. And I was was trying to feel his foot. I couldn't find it. He's gone. (laughs) Because the rapture had happened or something. So that's... So for me, that was what Christianity was about. Um... I saw Jesus as a way to escape that. But if we understand the story correctly, Jesus came for a lot more than just getting us all to heaven. He came to restore all things. He came to establish his kingdom on earth and to call us again to this vocation of being an image bearer. Okay, so that, that, that's, that's you know, a, a short summary, but that's how we should be viewing what Jesus came to do. Um, He came to restore us to being image bearers of the one who made us and to be representatives of his kingdom that one day will fill all the earth. Now, part of that ultimately ends up in that passage we read in Revelations. Um, But the start of this kingdom began at the cross. And N.T. Wright rightly calls this a revolution. I don't think we know the depth of what was achieved at the cross. It was truly a revolution. A complete flip from how we were, how mankind was before the cross and after occurred. <clears throat> Satan's dominion actually has gone. The new kingdom is now in place. Uh, we're just in a phase, and it's a bit of a, an unusual way to describe it. It's been established, and it's in the process of being established. It's come, but it's not yet coming away. But we're on the path of the completion of this kingdom. And our role now is to represent the king, to be his image bearers in this kingdom. And that's how we should approach our life. If so so if, if, you want to, if, if you want the guts of this message, it is, I'm telling you or I'm suggesting to you that the way you should view your life is not primarily about following rules, not primarily about looking for religious structure to conduct your life by, but to think of yourself as an image bearer and a representative of the king. That's what we should be going about doing now. <clears throat> if you look at a multitude of passages in scripture, um, Revelations 5, 9 and 10, don't, don't turn them, it talks about that representative role, that priestly role. And 2 Corinthians 5.18, the same way. There's, there's rich scriptural imagery about being priests, representatives and mediators. You might just turn to 2 Corinthians 5.18 just, just, and think a little bit about that. <coughs> 2 Corinthians 5.18. It summarises this in a way. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. So our role now is, is if, if, if you want an image, it's to stand between heaven and earth and represent God and minister, both worship God and minister to those on earth by bringing them the message of reconciliation. We are image bearers of the king. Now, this requires a lot to unpack, and I'm not going to attempt to do it here because we'll go a lot longer. I want to get on to an example. But that is essentially what I'm saying our our role is. And that representation now means that as we live out our lives, interactions with all of this world should, or our interactions with all of this world should evidence these new natures as being image bearers. It should flow out from all that we do that, or at least that should be the goal or mission of our life. Responding to the world as Jesus would respond, bearing the image of our Creator. <clears throat> now, I want to look now at this an example, and it's it's a it's I've picked this example because it was a current thing I was thinking about. But it's, but to me, it's a weird example in the sense that it seems unrelated. But we've got to. It serves as a good example because we should relate all of this image-bearing approach to everything in life. So let's look at the example I've already spoken about, um, mobile phones. If I asked you what the biggest technological change um, that has taken place in the last 10 to 15 years, what would you say it was? I've already given you the answer, but... Mobile phones, connectedness, internet, smartphones, social media, everything that's contained with that. If I, th- if I think back to 20 years ago when we didn't have these devices around, the world has been fundamentally changed by the, the interaction of that. 20 years ago, if I jumped on a subway in Shanghai, that would not be what people were doing. I'll probably be sleeping. I don't know, but they would be looking because they didn't have them. They didn't have that access. <clears throat> um, one of the problems is when you start to think about things, you think, well, what, what's, what's God got to do with smartphones? It's just a benign tool. That's where we make a mistake. Nothing's benign. Nothing is benign everything that's in this world will have some sort of impact on us. Um, I, I was actually confronted by this reality about a year ago on a trip to Sydney. And um, normally, I'm, I'm, i like to know where I am in the world. I'll, I'll have a map. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have, I need to have my bearings, you know, and, and i like to know where the sun is and north and all that stuff, and where, whereabouts in the city I am. I was on, a, on my way to Sydney, and... Um, uh, I was going to a, a meeting and I had to... I didn't have time to find out where I was heading, so I just relied on my phone. i might have told you this story. I don't know. If I haven't. Anyway, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you it again. Um, so I jumped on the plane and, uh, and I got off in Sydney and I looked at my Google Maps thing and I just punched in where it was. So I spent the next three calls an hour looking at my phone, just like those people, actually, and I wandered through Sydney... And then, bang, I arrived at the hotel. And I suddenly realised I didn't have a clue where I was. I had no concept where I was in Sydney. I missed out on some fantastic architecture as I walked through and the harbour and all that stuff because I was staring at my phone trying to find my bearings. And I suddenly realised, wow, this technology has impacted the way that I interact with the world. And just a little example, I had no idea where I was in Sydney. I just knew I was at the right hotel, I think. Hopefully i poked in the right address Although I'll tell you another funny story. We went to this men's conference once, and I won't tell you the bloke um, who did this, but uh, on the on the bus, Tony will laugh when he, when he hears about this, uh, on the bus, this bloke had just got a new GPS unit, and he was just over the moon, because this is when no one had them. He thought, Man, I've got this, There's a big brick thing probably, you know, one of those. And I've got this GPS. No, we don't even know where we're going. This thing will tell us where we're going. So, okay. I'd been to the place, so I knew where it was. So he punches in the... the the, the address, and as we're getting closer and closer to Melbourne, I just saw the. Bu- Tony was driving. Actually, you were driving, were you, mate? Yeah. So the bus is veering off to the, going to the Western Suburbs. We're actually going to the city. And I said, well, it's nice to live here. But we, this is not going to the right place. No, no, no. You've got to trust the GPS. Got to, GPS. So anyway, we had we had quite a vocal dis- discussion, <laughs> and I and I won the discussion, <laughs> and and I said, look, forget that. If we're wrong, I'll take. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll wear it. But we're not. Just go down this street, this street, this street. We ended up on the joint anyway. By the time we got there, everyone got off the bus, and I said, "Sorry about being so forceful, what um, What's wrong here? So we looked at his GPS, and he put in the wrong. He put um, uh, the wrong street. It was no. Sorry, it was Victoria Street, but Victoria Street Sunshine instead of Victoria Street Melbourne. So. I don't know why I told this story, but anyway, it just illustrates the fact that that um, technology has an impact. Okay, even in such benign things like that. So let's think about mobile phones. Let's get back to our sermon. Um, what has what has the technology delivered? So, we'll deliver some good things. Um, you have a very very powerful computer in the palm of your hands. At the swipe of a finger, you can access pretty well everything that was ever written in the world if you know how to find it. That, that is amazing. For a person who likes to read stuff, that, you know, that, that, that is, that is uh, a, a very, very powerful tool. Um, you can be connected to anyone in the world all the time. That's unreal. Well, I remember when I was a kid, my mum came from Canada and um, we used to book a trunk call for three minutes, anyone remember that? Right? Oh, we used to book a trunk call for three minutes, and we'd all gather around the the black bakelite phone and do the thing and get the operator. And yep, your, calls, yep, your call starts now. And we all that. And hello, hello, hi, it's Peter. Hi, it's Shane. Hi, it's Todd. Hi, it's Louise. And Mum would get on there; she'd be bawling her eyes out because she's talking to her parents in Canada. And Dad would just say hello, and then three minutes was over. We have to wait till next Christmas to make another call. That's not like today. I mean, my brother's in uh, Germany now, Shane, and I rang him yesterday, and I missed a call. And so it's connected, unbelievable. That, there's, there's, there's some good stuff in, in that. There's a myriad of apps to aid us. we talked about the GPS before, uh, and service information. You can get all your music. You can listen to your music on, on your phone, and you can watch whatever you want on your phone. Um, you can, you can go to another country and talk to someone in another language. I was in China, as I said, a couple of weeks ago. And on the way to the airport of Guangzhou, I, I started having a chat with the, the taxi driver through the translation app. We almost killed ourselves about 10 times as he was translating and looking at me. And he was supposed to be driving and the thing's going all over the road. And um, in the end, through the translation app, I find out he's a Christian. And we talked about our faith. And then he got really excited and i think we're going to die here because this guy's going to run off the road. So there's some good stuff with all that. But there's a flip side to it. It's delivered unprecedented access to pornography and exploitative media. Um, There's now an addictive news stream, social or otherwise, that that hijacks our lives. It it has a a tendency to depersonalise relationships. I'm thinking about the whole realm of phones, social media, etc. It's created a hunger for approval. I think a loss of deep engagement amongst people. Um, I think a loss of solitude and the value of solitude. We've just got this thing in front of us all the time. It's a consumer of time and resources. It's an incredible temptation to lead a secret life, or presents an incredible temptation to lead a secret life. It has a diluting effect on meaning. Um, it's got this thing called FOMO, a fear of missing out. People are, are panicking that they'll miss out on some thing that's going on, so they need to look at their phone every two seconds. Um, and it has this this really worrying trend of of abusiveness from, from a remote position. People are just slagging off at people. They don't even know. So I just want to present those two views of, of phones. So what do we do with that? How do we take our mission and how do we understand or interpret something as new, fresh, technologically innovative as, as what a mobile phone does? How do I approach living in a smartphone world um, as a representative of my creator? That's really the question and that's the it's an example of how we should look at everything. How do I approach living my life with anything that the world surrounds us with? <clears throat> so I just want to give you a few pointers. This is in no way um, comprehensive, but it just gives you some, I guess, a guide for how I'd approach it as being an image bearer. And it's sort of how I try to approach most things. Now, I'm a, I'm a learner in this myself, so, so uh, um, I'm, I'm trying to grow in my way of understanding my role as an image bearer. So the first thing i do, i pray for help. To identify an issue, pray for help. I mean, God's, God is saying that he's listening to us. So we have a, we have a, a direct communication to God through prayer. I mean, how, how unbelievable is that? We can talk to the creator of all things, the one that knows the beginning and the end, the one that is contained and described within this book. And, and he helps us. So that's number one. The second thing I'd, I'd encourage you is, is feed on this. We can't learn to be an image bearer unless we learn about the one whose image we're bearing. And and this is what tells us about him. You can't be an image bearer. You can't represent him unless you know him. You can't be a a person that's seeking to follow him unless you know the one you're following. So we've got to engage in this book. It informs you about the one that we're to represent. And my belief is, my conviction is, that wisdom and reflection on scripture will lead you towards right actions. Now, there's the beginning of it. Let's, Let's just dive a little bit deeper in here there's a whole range of responses. Let's, let's think about a, a, a few particular ones. Wisdom should lead you to think about the internet in a very wary way. Let's just explore this a little bit. And I'm not here to tell you what to do. You need to think about your own role as an image bearer. But think about the internet. There's 7 billion people in this world and they're all on the internet. Now, if we believe Genesis 3, there's 7 billion broken people on the internet. Some are redeemed and finding their way, but there's a lot of broken people out there. So when you think about the internet and say, for example, um, this question about your child's access to the internet, if we think about how we are to act as image bearers and have the responsibility of raising children and raising them to be image bearers... Do you think it's a wise thing to do to say to your child, you just go into that internet, there's 7 billion people out there, go for it? I don't think so. I I'll use this as, as an example. It's like saying there's a room there. It's like through that grey door there. And, it, and through that door there's 7 billion people. You don't know many of them at all. You know a few, but you don't know many of them. And you say to your kid, listen... Open that door, you pop in there for a few hours, shut the door, and then when you come out, I hope it's all good. It doesn't make any sense to me, that. Don't feel that you have to engage the way the world engages, because that's what everyone does. Think carefully about being an image bearer, how you raise your children to be image bearers, for example, on that particular issue. Wisdom and being a responsible parent should give you cause to be very wary of giving your kids access to the internet at all, in my view. These decisions are easy to make, um, probably not so easy to implement. I think one of the most consistent discussions I have with many parents is this debate with their kids about internet usage. Um, And there's a lot of pressure on kids to be connected. But I encourage you to think about that. I've heard so many examples of parents whose kids have got into... Enormous amounts of trouble—not just pornography, but meeting some really weird people online. I know a guy who was confronted by a knock at the door by, by the police, who had been tracking his daughter's use of the internet, and she would connected with some creepy guy in Germany, and um, they were they were tracking him as part of a paedophile ring, and and this is in Kiewerum, you know, sleepy little Kiewerum. And this bloke gets a knock on the door from the cops, completely unaware of what was going on with his 14-year-old daughter's internet usage and connection. Now, I'm I'm saying that to say that that is happening a lot. Weird people connecting with your kids. So that's one issue, okay? And it's it's a particular issue. I want to talk about the... Just now apply this a bit further. Let's talk about the challenging nature of social media. Facebook... Is it Insta? Is that the abbreviated Instagram? Insta? Sam, is that right? Instagram and Snapchat, you know, these these social media um, platforms. How do you reflect the image of God in there? Now, I'm not saying don't touch them, but I'm thinking you need to evaluate how conceivably you can be an image bearer in that space. I try to look at, rather than step back and be... be, uh, you know reactive to things I try to I'm trying to understand what's at the heart of the processes of say social media for example <clears throat> you know what what what's what are some of the drivers some of the forces some of the issues some of the social um, dynamics that are going on on those social platforms <clears throat> and I, I think there's a couple that I, I, I'm hoping you'll agree and I think there's enough information out there to, to, to say that I reckon most people would would agree with these things um, I think in the social media space, there's an obsessive nature of, of uh, self-promotion and an obsessive drive towards seeking approval from people. I mean, the whole basis of Facebook and the whole engine room of Facebook is about getting people to engage with what you're putting on. So there's endless selfies of, of young girls pouting and looking cute and changing their thing and, and then there's there's the whole liking phenomena that you've got to like stuff and and then there's the whole um, reliance on on how I'm being seen and accepted by all the other people on Facebook. There is a, a real dominant theme of of self-promotion and seeking approval. And then there's another aspect of, of social media that 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 I think comes through clearly. It's it's the, the temptation to brag about Yourself, the temptation to talk about our accomplishments, um, our achievements, our kids' achievements, our car, our new cars, our houses, our holidays, or whatever, whatever. Now, there's, a, there's probably a line between oh, I'm just telling people where I'm at, and I'm just telling people where I'm at. You know what I mean? You know, look how good I am. Look how good my kids are. Look at look at where, what we've done. Look at look at how we are. So there's these themes that run through. Facebook, but I don't think are positive. I don't think they're um, at all things that that people who are reflecting an image of God um, should be engaged in or at least be wary about. Why? Why is that? Well, let's, let's run through those. Um, firstly, who, who or what is being worshipped when you're promoting yourself? If we're to worship God, and yet there's a social platform that thrives on the idea of worshipping everything other than God, I think there's, there's a conflict there. So at the very most basic level of being image bearers and worshipping our Creator, when we are directing worship to anything other than that, and that's what self-promotion is, it's saying, look at me, I'm great, I'm better than you. So I think at a fundamental level, that's not image bearing. And running parallel to that is this concept of being affirmed or the desire to be affirmed. I mean, there's probably a a benign... Not benign, but there's probably a harmless aspect of likes, and, you know, it's all hilarious. But there's also another one where... I think now there's almost a social sickness where people are, are very anxious unless they're liked a lot on social media platforms. This desire to be affirmed really relates to, I want my identity... To be um, founded on whether people like me or not let 's think about image bearing again who and what is our identity in it 's in being a child of god it 's not being it 's not on how many likes we have it 's not being accepted on facebook it 's not being a part of the game so a at really basic levels, where we worship and our identity, I don't think Facebook helps that. So think about that. Think about um, how our image bearing relates on those two levels. <clears throat> Am I truly reflecting my creator? If I was, um, I, wouldn't be directing, I would be directing worship to him, not to myself. And I'd be secure in his love for me. I wouldn't need any other affirmation. Herein lies the problem, though. These platforms are so pervasive, they're so consuming, it's almost difficult to extract yourself, to step back and say, what's actually really going on here? How how am I to understand myself in relationship to these dynamics? Coupled to this, we're a work in progress. We're Christians, but we are in the process of sanctification. So, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge. You've got to interpret these social dynamics and then we've got to work on ourselves. So it, it's, it's a challenge. <clears throat> and, the, and Facebook and social media platforms are forever presenting us with new ways to get our gaze off God and our gaze onto something else. There's two other aspects I'll we'll just mention briefly then we'll, we'll finish this up. Silent contemplation is almost a forgotten thing in this world. We are so surrounded by noise, by activity, by a constant barrage of calls on us, that silent contemplation, which scripture says is one essential way to commune with God. You read through Psalms. Psalm 37, 7, Psalm 62, 1 to 7, as an an example, talks about being silent and waiting on God. It's impossible to wait on God when you've got this thing bleeping beside you. It, 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 there's, a, there's a sickness associated with that. Where we're continually confronted with, with a babble from this device. And, and yet we are not cultivating regular times where we're just quiet and contemplative. Because it's only in those times can you really start to reflect on your own walk and time. You can't do it when there's noise around you. I don't care what anyone says. You cannot be contemplative when you've got a raging torrent of information blaring at you or noise. That's not going to happen. The Bible talks about being silent and meditating. You've got to cultivate that. You can't do that. You can't cultivate that side of being an image bearer. You can't communicate with God. When, God was in the gar- when Adam was in the garden, God would commune with them in the evening. Our part of that today is contemplation, focusing on Scripture. And there needs to be a component of silent contemplation or quietness so we can connect with God. And then finally, we're made to be busy. God gave Adam a job. You've got to get into that garden. Get, Get it happening. Start to manage this operation. If there's one thing that social media platforms do, they rob us of time. You know, we fill our lives looking at kitten videos. Nathan? <laughs> no, he doesn't actually. It's a little inside family. Seriously, we fill our lives looking at complete nonsense. But actually, that's what Facebook fries on. Throwing nonsense at you to absorb your time. And you got to be honest with yourselves. But God's called us to work, to be busy. Part of our lives should be getting about the work of the kingdom you can't do that with this thing rattling away beside you it robs us of capacity okay so there's four things that that as as an example of being image bearers you can relate it to something as practical and as pervasive as say social media phone use you can you could export this concept of being an image bearer to every aspect of your life. And, and as I finish, I want to suggest that to you. Don't think about your lives now as just being rule followers or being um, following some code, but think about yourself as being an image bearer of the King, living your life every day, every hour, every minute as, as a representative of the King that brought about the most fundamental change at the cross that has restored us and is in the process of restoring this whole world into a, to a world that worships him. But it starts with us. It starts with us being image bearers in our own lives, in our own worlds, and applying these truths to things like social media or internet use or a myriad of other things that this world has presented to us as, as uh, alternatives or t- alternative ways of existence. So I hope this morning I've opened up a, a way of thinking about this. I really would encourage you to to start to consider these sorts of issues. I would recommend N.T. Wright's book. It's a very interesting book. Another book uh, by Tony Renke called um, 12 Ways Your Phone's Changing You. And there's a pile of stuff on the internet. On the internet. <laughs> 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 a pile of stuff on the internet you could read too. Well, I'll tell you something funny. So I'm reading a blog about someone's got this thing up. You know, we've got to get away from from the internet because it's wasting our time so much so it was like about a 15 million page comment section on that so people spend their whole days commenting on why we shouldn't be on the internet while they're on the internet commenting on that (laughs) it's it's a contradiction but in in reality there's some great material out there that talks about how to thoughtfully process things just like this and how we're to be image bearers in that space let's pray Father, we just thank you again, Lord. We thank you, God, that you you sent your Son. We thank you, Lord, that that you spoke to us and called us to yourself. We thank you, Lord, that you're creating a people um, called by your name, Lord, to fill this earth and to be image bearers of you. I thank you, God, that you've called me to that. I thank you that you've called all of us here to that holy task. And I pray, Lord, that this morning, as we thought about this, that you would speak to each of us, that you reveal to each of us, Lord, not in a guilt way, Lord, but, but Lord, in, in a, a positive, encouraging, flourishing way, Lord, that we are to open about our lives to be image bearers of your son and help us, Lord, to walk in that and, Lord, spread this kingdom, promote this kingdom, be representatives of this kingdom that you came and kicked off at the cross. I thank you for that, Lord, and I pray you'd help us in that regard. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm up for a few questions if you want to, or if you've got some. Sure. So uh, Genesis one twenty-six to twenty-eight, Genesis two 8, 17. Revelation twenty-one one to eight, Revelation twenty-two one to five, and then Mark twelve. Um, John three Nic- when Nicodemus came to Jesus, and then uh, Acts chapter three where the crowd, where Peter was addressing the crowd. Romans one twenty to twenty five. Revelation five nine and ten. 2 Corinthians five eighteen. That's it. All done. Good. Right. Thank you.